things will get better and and then you can create this oasis find ways for them to build self-confidence Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, here we are, another podcast. Whatever shall we talk about? We have some guests today, don't we? We do have some guests, so I guess we should probably talk about what they're experts of. And we have with us Drs. Brock and Fernet Eide, and they're with Dyslexic Advantage Organization. This is a nonprofit organization that they see. They have a couple books. We're super excited to have the two of you here today. And I'll just let you guys have a conversation. Well, I um, came across your book probably shortly after it was published in 2012 or 13. I have seven children, and my number six child, my only son of the seven, was uh, so dyslexic he could not read anything at all with his eyes until he was 11 and didn't read a book until he was 12. So I'm sure you've heard stories like that, but... My wife and I went through various phases of trying to figure out how do you uh, homeschool a child who cannot read at all and how much do you worry and stress. And it's not so bad when he's eight, but it's a lot worse when he's 11. And uh, your book, I have to say, The Dyslexic Advantage, Unlocking the Hidden Potential of the Dyslexic Brain, was just hugely comforting to us. It was right there in probably the top two or three books that uh, gave us uh, great hope and also helped us to see his talents. So I'm very delighted to have you. We'll put uh, links to your bios on the show notes so they can see the uh, extensive qualifications that you have. But uh, tell me just a little bit, how did you get into this originally? Your your first book, I believe, was um, years before called The Mislabeled Child. And you're both medical doctors, but you work in this area of um, dyslexic helping and, and all sorts of kids with learning challenges. How did you get into this? Well, I think uh, like a lot of people in this field, Andrew, uh, we got into it uh, first as parents and then brought our professional expertise to bear. So uh, when our son, who's now 25, was just a preschooler, he went uh, went into the classroom really excited about getting started with school and looking forward to uh, learning new things. And immediately we found he had problems with uh, all the heavy academic subjects like uh, music time and standing in line and, and uh, walking as a group. And uh, so we uh, we started trying to uh, to see what it was that was really not uh, working well for him uh, in the uh, the classroom setting, 
and uh, we started, like a lot of parents, looking for people that could give us answers and found that we had a real hard time actually finding professionals who could give us good answers for what was going on with their son. But when we started looking into the to the medical literature and into the psychological literature, uh, which we could do because of our professional backgrounds, uh, Fernet in particular was a, at that time a professor of neurology at the University of Chicago. We found that we could find good answers to what was going on with him and we could create kind of an integrated explanation and also come up with plans for, for helping him. And that, uh, that I think led us to begin thinking about this, not only in his case, but thinking about this uh, and how, you know, how our experience mirrored that of so many of the other people that we knew. And uh, we thought that we could really add something to the field by bringing kind of an integrated approach that uh, brought together the, the kind of the deep, diffuse research from all these different fields of brain science uh, into clinical practice and into education. One of the things that I like about your approach, and this is this is me watching a YouTube video where you're talking about an albatross. Can you can you share that story? Because I'm sure I would not do it justice. Yeah, in the in the dyslexic advantage book in the early part, we used the the metaphor of an albatross to describe the experience that we had in working with dyslexic children and dyslexic adults also, which is, you know, when Fred and I got married, we honeymooned in Hawaii on the island of Kauai, and, and uh, we went out to the Kilauea Point Lighthouse, and there's a, this beautiful cliff where the seabirds will come after they've, you know, crossed these huge open expanses of water to get to Kauai, and they'll just kind of circle and soar on these updrafts, and they're the most beautiful things, and big frigate birds and albatrosses, and we watched them soaring and just looked at just the effort, effortless way they took advantage of these drafts to, to fly around. And then we saw uh, a nature show where it showed an albatross landing on the ground after it had been flying over these ocean water expanses for like six months at a time without coming to land. And it showed the albatross trying to walk, and it was the most ungainly, uncoordinated <laughs> thing, and it just could hardly get across the beach. And we thought, you know, this is just so like the experience that we have in working with uh, with the people that we do in the clinic, where in their environment that they're really built for and tuned for, they soar and can, you know, magnificent flyers, but you put them in this other environment that they're not ideally built for, and they, they look like they have all kinds of problems. And you, you can just never guess the soaring behavior if all you're looking at is the walking behavior. Mm. Mm. It's, that's so true, so true. I, I would guess in my travels, you know, I go to homeschool conventions, do various conferences, visit schools, and I would guess that one in three families with two or more children has a child, and the parents either know or more often are suspicious or worried about one of their children being dyslexic. And one of the questions they will kind of ask me is, well, do you think I should get him tested? Do you think I should take her to a specialist? And I'm never quite sure how to answer that 
um, Susan Barton, whom I'm sure you know, kind of said, well, if you think your child is dyslexic, they probably are. What's your advice? Uh, obviously, you're kind of in the world of providing that service for people. In general, if a parent of, you know, say a child who's six, seven, eight years old asks that question, you know, should I have my child tested? What approach or, or advice do you provide? To some extent, it depends on what the, the school situation is. So if you have a child in a, a public school, for example, and you really want them to get services through the school, uh, oftentimes the only way to get those is by having formal testing with a professional uh, who can you know, write a letter and, and give that to the school and, and kind of open the, the door to the special services. For the homeschooling population that you're, you're talking about, uh, though often that's not going to be needed. Uh, and for one thing, testing can be very expensive. It, you know, at mm -hmm. a minimum, it runs hundreds of dollars, and at a maximum, it can run many thousands of dollars. And the, the, the main reason for younger students to get testing is if you're concerned about a more serious problem with language or attention or some other cognitive function. Uh, but if you have a, a student who's developing pretty well cognitively, if their their oral conversation skills seem to be pretty good, if their comprehension of what's going on language-wise seems to be pretty good, but they're just having trouble learning how to decode and how to spell, they may not need full formal testing. And one of the things that we've done that, uh, to try to attempt to fill in this gap between the, the full-service testing like we used to do professionally and uh, the needs of people in, in that kind of situation was we created a, a screening tool for dyslexia uh, that's called the Neural Learning Dyslexia Screening Test App. Um, the website for that is neurolearning.com. And we screen individuals age seven and older with that app. Uh, it's an iPad-based app that anybody can use and is available uh, just for iPad now, but we'll be expanding out to other platforms. And the idea behind that, the testing that we do is, is dyslexia uh, challenges with, with decoding and with spelling are caused by differences in the way dyslexic brains process information. And so what the, what the screening tool does is it looks at those different ways of processing and creates uh, a measurement of risk for diagnosis of dyslexia and then matches uh, the results of the test with recommendations for, for different interventions. But, but also I think what's really helpful, especially for homeschoolers, is that it, it gives you areas, practical strategies and resources, but also areas where your student would uh, benefit by working on. So it, it helps you in this whole realm of, you know, what do I do next, you know, or, or what do I put a focus on? It gives you, rather than saying yes or no, it also breaks things down into these sub-skill areas. So you can make an, a, a logical plan for, for instance, what, what you want to do for the coming year. Excellent. Well, I have uh, a few people I know that work, you know, in the world of uh, tutoring and teaching dyslexic children who have mentioned this app to me. So definitely uh, you've got some traction out there, and we will put a link to that. I tried, as many 
parents of dyslexic children probably have, almost everything that you could do. And uh, my son was sixth out of our seven children. So when it became obvious he was not going to learn to read as easily as the others, I thought, well, you know, we'll just wait a little bit. And then we, you know, got this program and that program. We dropped a lot of money taking him to a place that supposedly was going to solve it or help him. And and I would say it it seemed as though almost nothing worked, even though we put, you know, tremendous amount of time and energy and into it. And I'm wondering, in your opinion, is it sometimes just a case where you have to wait it out where you know, for him, it seemed to coincide with kind of puberty. He just, you know, hit that age. He got this burst of power and he was able to exert his will over his eyes and brain and and make himself do what he just couldn't do. Is, is it sometimes just a case where you do everything you can, but the real thing is you just have to wait it out? Yeah, Andrew, I think you raise your story raises a couple of really important points that it's it's very important for people to recognize. First is that there's not simply one pattern of dyslexia. So dyslexic challenges with reading and spelling are contributed to by differences in processing in a number of different systems. So there's the regular phonological processing system that a lot of dyslexia experts talk about that impact the way the brain handles the sounds and words and the ability to break whole words up into component sounds so that you can match those up into individual letters and and manipulate those around. But working memory also plays a huge role in learning Mm -hmm. to read. Speed of of retrieval of words and and naming speed plays a huge role. Uh, For reading itself, visual attention and the ability of the eyes to process visual information in tight arrays plays an important role. And there's also something called procedural learning, which is the ability to automate skills. So the ability through practice to be able to take rule-based procedures, uh, things that involve steps and involve uh, rules for processes, and turn those into automatic functions so you can perform them entirely without thinking. People with dyslexia uh, a, a given individual will have a mix of those different factors. And, you know, mm. we sometimes use the analogy of cooking, where you can start with, you know, butter and sugar and flour and eggs, and just, you know, you can think if you're a cook of all the different things that you can make with those. You can make, you know, hard cookies or a soft souffle or or whatever, anything in between. And it really depends on the ratio of those different things you have, what the outcome is going to be, uh, you know, is going to look like. So some students who have differences in processing in all of those five different areas are going to have an extremely difficult time early on showing evidence of any, any progress. And I'm sure that your son probably had uh, differences in four or five of those different areas. What you notice around the time of adolescence as this ability finally to gain some traction and get moving is a consequence of the development of more working memory capacity, uh, Mm. typically. uh, Because when you can't perform all of these functions automatically, when you can't learn to do them without thinking about them, the only way to do them is to talk yourself through them step by step. 
and the way you talk yourself through something and have a conversation with something is that you employ your working memory to do that. At younger ages, there just is not enough capacity to hold all those instructions to get yourself through a complex process. But as you, as you get older, you keep getting these upgrades and you can run more and more complex processes like this. So it, it doesn't mean that all the work that you do at the earlier stages uh, is completely non-productive, but it means that you're not necessarily going to see the results of those efforts right away. So at younger ages, you can still make good progress in working on some of the phonological or sound processing impairments, even though you're not seeing that uh, contribute to success in reading right away. And then when the kids get a little bit older and they can start putting together these more complex processes, they'll be a little bit further along and be ready to take advantage of that uh, expansion uh, in capacity at that point. Yeah, I would just add that it, the progress is very nonlinear for, for many dyslexic students. And, you know, the beauty of homeschooling, as long as you don't worry too much as a parent, <laughs> is that things will get better. And, and then you can create this oasis, find ways for them to build self-confidence and, um, and realize that some of the things that you may be doing, as Brock says, may not, you may not be able to see in terms of like them being able to retrieve things, uh, uh, you know, when you ask them questions and direct questions and things like that. But actually that familiarity is actually building things in so that you'll see a big boost later. Yeah, I think that does explain. Uh, I was always kind of amazed at it, it all happened almost all at once. Within a period of six months, he went from basically struggling with words like cat and mom uh, and the to reading. I think the first book he read was probably grade five, six reading level. And it just it's kind of like it all clicked at once. And then uh, one thing I noticed in terms of an advantage for, for him was he developed this incredible auditory memory in part because I loaded him up with audiobooks and read out loud to him as much as we could. But I'm wondering, is that uh, one of the advantages? And then maybe you would comment on some of the other advantages because uh, I see his brain just is, worked so differently than mine and he would see things and say things and I would think I could never have seen that or thought that. So in addition, uh, or just if you could kind of go over some of these advantages that you go into great detail, of course, in the book, I think that might be interesting. So in general, you know, auditory memory is, is not something that we've seen directly linked as an advantage of dyslexia, although dyslexic people who have good auditory memories uh, often develop fantastic auditory memories for just the reason that you described, because they have to push that. So kids who do have strong auditory memories, uh, you, you definitely want to take advantage of books on tape and other services like that. But there are other dyslexic kids where that, that doesn't really work for them. But uh, the, big, the big advantages that we've noticed and that we wrote about in the Dyslexic Advantage book were advantages in spatial reasoning ability, advantages in uh, systems-based thinking or uh, ability to see connections and patterns and relationships between things, uh, the ability to form uh, strong personal memories of things and to learn from experience, uh, personal experience and encounters with things, and then the ability 
to make mental projections to figure out how things that uh, that work uh, will work out over time or may have been working in the past to lead to the current uh, setting. So to take a process and then make a projection based on uh, on how that'll look over time. And we call those four strengths the mind strengths. And uh, the, the terms that we used for those were uh, M was for material reasoning, so reasoning about objects in space and physical uh, objects. Uh, I for interconnected reasoning, or seeing the connections between things and how systems work. N for narrative reasoning and understanding things on the basis of experience and, and coming up with a story about something and, and thinking about actual settings rather than abstractions. And then D for dynamic reasoning, which is that ability to see how things play out in action and over time. My son pointed out to me that a disproportionately high percentage of entrepreneurs uh, are dyslexic. Your, your son is entirely right. And uh, <laughs> there's a number of, story of uh, studies uh, that have demonstrated uh, this. And the, uh, the numbers are probably somewhere in the range of, of three times as many successful entrepreneurs are, are dyslexic as one would expect on the basis of representation in the population. One little side note, my son last year, um, he's he just turned 23. Last year, uh, I had to cancel going to a convention and I asked the organizer, could he come and do a talk in my place in one of my slots? And she said, oh yeah, that'd be great. So he went and he did a talk uh, growing up dyslexic or something like that. And it was very well attended. And he uh, he studied uh, for, he wrote his talk uh, with your book as one of his primary sources to help him uh, be able to articulate his experience. And uh, I believe he had them both laughing and crying and uh, I received so much positive feedback. So, Well, and I just want to chime in here. We were not able to get a good recording of that talk. Yes. But we were able to get him as a guest on our podcast. So we do have that. <laughs> oh, we'd love to share that with our community. They'd love to hear it. Well, we, we can link to that. I would like to hear a bit about how I was perusing your website. And obviously, anything with writing would immediately grab my attention. There's so much there. Uh, you, you really have very, very rich resources. But uh, you have a thing called the Karina ID Young Writers Awards, which evidently um, you publish in a, a magazine of sorts, uh, writing, I would assume, from dyslexic children all over the country or the world. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be and what are the parameters for it? Well, it was uh, it was inspired by our daughter who we lost at, um, from cancer at the age of seventeen, but um, she was uh, she she was dyslexic and also just loved writing, and she loved encouraging young people. So, we do encourage all the listeners out there if they have dyslexic children to to consider entering the contest because um, we tried to reduce the hurdles for for the awards, we realize that so many kids have wonderful ideas, wonderful storytellers, but might have difficulty getting these ideas down on the page. And so we let students dictate. We don't care about spelling, things like that for these awards. And we're really looking at, at ideas and storytelling. And and if you check out some of the uh, winners, they're, they're absolutely fantastic. So, you know, it's a uh, we've we've often noted in our clinic when we had students that 
um, if they had a section timed writing, for instance, that sometimes they'd be completely stopped up and unable to write anything. Yet at the same time, they could regale us with stories about what happened on their vacation and tell us about themselves. And there's this real need to get information down on the page, and yet there's so many obstacles early on. In fact, um, I think we were talking about a little bit beforehand, um, our son has, has severe dysgraphia, and it was a long time before he could get any words down to on a page. He was able to type many years before he could actually write by hand, and still he's very non-fluent. And actually, Institute for Excellence in Writing, your materials were very helpful for us in our homeschooling journey because it created a template rather than this open-ended prompt. It was just something that the, the students look at and they say, you know, I could do that, you know. And, uh, you know, and I, I think it just gave them agency. We recommended to many of our dysgraphic students we saw in our clinic years. And I think that finding ways to unlock you know, all the wonderful stories that they actually have in their minds is, you know, is one of the beautiful things that you can do in in the educational process. I'm so sorry, but we're going to have to stop here. I know there's more to be said, but fortunately for you, we will continue this conversation next week. Hope you join us then. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>